the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There were some who came along and said, Aha, we are saved by the grace of God. Isn't that true? Yes. And God is glorified when when His grace is demonstrated and our sins are forgiven. Yes, that's absolutely true. So why don't they said, why don't we just go on sinning so God can give us more grace? That's what Paul was dealing with. And notice his, his reply in verse 2. Strongest language in the New Testament. We don't even have words to convey it. But he said, may it never be. The thought is, perish the thought. Don't even think such a thing. It's so hideous. Don't even bring it up. Heaven forbid. Indeed. If we are new creatures in Christ, then all things are new. We may still sin from time to time, but we'll have new desires and attractions to replace the old sinful ones. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins a three-part message that will conclude our study of 2 Peter chapter 2 and the dangers of false teachers. We have a lot to cover today, so grab your Bible and a pen if you can, and let's begin. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. We want to close our study of the second chapter this morning, and I want to read to you from verse 19 and following. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Speaking of the false teachers and the content of their message, Peter says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandments handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a pig after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. One day Jesus gave a parable to his disciples. Matthew chapter 13 records this, as well as Mark's gospel and and Luke's. And uh, this parable was about a man who was throwing some seed onto his field. But in the process of throwing the seed, some seed inadvertently fell on other places, it landed on other places, other other soils. Some landed beside the road, Jesus said, some on rocky places, some landed on thorns, and, and some just fell on good soil, and on that soil there was productivity and fruitfulness. Now, our Lord's purpose in telling us this parable is not to give us a, a lesson on farming. That's not his purpose at all. But like all parables, they teach an important spiritual lesson. What was the lesson here? Well, He went on to explain to his disciples that each soil 
Each of the four soils represents an individual's spiritual heart condition. And based on their heart's condition, uh, we would see whether they were responsive to the gospel or, or not. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus said that the seed that fell on rocky ground is like a certain person. I'll read to you what kind of a person it's like. Who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So here's a person who receives it immediately with joy. Yet, he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus described an individual who initially looked like he had become a Christian. He was excited. He received the word with joy. It would indicate to me an emotional response to the word of God and and the gospel. There was some enthusiasm there. He professed to believe in Christ. He gave every indication at first that he was going to follow God's word. But in time, because of persecution and affliction, he realized that being a disciple of Jesus Christ involves a cost, and he was not willing to pay that cost. So Jesus said he fell away. It was only temporary. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Certainly, this does not mean that here's a man who at one time trusted Christ for salvation, was born again, but then he fell away from salvation. How do we know that Jesus could never have been teaching that? For two reasons. Number one, because we have many, many clear statements in the New Testament that salvation is secure and forever. Many statements on that. For example, John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one will pluck them out of my hand. No one, he said, will pluck them out of my father's hands. Many, many, many statements in the New Testament, clear statements, no question about it, statements about eternal security. You never take um, a doctrine and take an obscure, difficult to understand passage and interpret it against all these clear statements and say, this must be true, but these clear statements are not true. So we, we dismiss that immediately. We know that Jesus could not be contradicting uh, other statements that he made in the word of God. But also we understand that Jesus was not speaking about losing your salvation from the very parable itself, because Jesus made it clear that this individual's heart was like rocky soil, like a, a rocky place, which has very shallow soil so that the seed cannot penetrate the surface. It doesn't go beyond the surface. Though this person appears to accept Christ because of his positive positive reactions to the gospel, his experience was never true salvation. How do we know that? Because like rocky soil, the seed of the word cannot take root in his heart. It cannot take root below the surface of his heart. Why? Because underneath the surface of this heart is a hardened heart of stone. It is not a receptive heart. Just like when you have a little bit of of soil on the top of some rocks, you can penetrate it, so you can penetrate this heart. In other words, the gospel never penetrated this person's life. His mind may have given mental assent to the gospel, and he experienced some type of of emotional religious uh, fervor, but perhaps uh, we could say his his behavior was reformed. Some reform on the outside, but the proof that he never really came to Christ for salvation, never really, really saved, is that when he was confronted with the real cost of salvation, being a genuine disciple of of Christ, he refused to pay the price. When he realized what the Christian life was all about, commitments and, and dedication and submission to Christ's lordship, he immediately fell away from even claiming 
to be a believer. He didn't even claim to be a Christian anymore. Now, far from being an ancient story with no modern significance, people with rocky hearts who fall away from Christianity after after claiming to be a Christian can pose a serious threat to you and to me, serious threat to God's people. Why? Because some of these people become advocates of false religious systems. And what they try to do is lure you into their false religious system. These are the kind of people who will say, you know, I once believed that. I once believed exactly what you believed. I was in a fundamental evangelical conservative church. I bought into that. I went to Sunday school. In fact, I taught Sunday school, but not anymore. I now know better. And what I believe is so much better than what I believed back then. Come and let me teach you what the real meaning of life is. These people are called in the Bible apostates, those who fall away. They are false teachers. And if we're not careful, we will be lured into their trap. And this is precisely the kind of people that Peter was writing about in Second Peter chapter 2. False teachers, apostates. This chapter, Second Peter 2, has some of the strongest and most negative language you'll find anywhere in the New Testament, and for good reason. The reason is that in trying to protect God's people from error, Peter has to use strong language. He exposes the behavior and the motives and the intents of false religious teachers. And in giving us a profile of an apostate, which is what he does in this chapter, Peter paints a very unattractive picture of these individuals. They are not sincere people who are just a little bit misled. They are evil people. They are unregenerate people. They are people who want to to, uh, bring you into their trap. They are propagating doctrines of demons. And though that may be very strong, that is, no, that is certainly what the New Testament teaches. And so far, we have discovered six truths about false teachers, six general truths. Number one, according to verse 10, they are immoral. Secondly, they despise authority. Third, they are extremely arrogant, according to verse 10. Four, they are pleasure seekers. They are hedonistic people who seek pleasure. Five, they are greedy. They are in it for the money. That's what motivates them. And number six, which we looked at last week, is that they offer a false hope. Their message is very unsatisfying. Now, let's let's look at, at those verses again. Verses 17 and 18. Peter says, they are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Their message, he says in verse 17, doesn't satisfy anyone. They're like a spring that gives great promise and hope for the weary traveler. But when you get there and you want to take a drink of the water, you realize it's empty. These people offer an empty, hollow message. And yet verse 18 says that they attract many. Many follow. Why do so many people follow false teachers? Well, verse 18 gives three reasons. And we looked at this last week. Number one, because they use inflated language. They use words that impress people. They use large vocabulary and and words that are not common to the average layman. And there's a tendency for all of us, when we hear things that sound deep and spiritual, we think they must be beyond us and it must be true. Even with Christians, be very careful about that. I remember years ago taking a staff member 
uh, to a uh, seminar taught by, uh, taught by a Bible teacher who is not a false teacher. But I do think that what he had to say that day on 1 Corinthians 12 and spiritual gifts was so far out. It was so, it was so non-biblical. Uh, but this staff member who was with me, and I had just been studying 1 Corinthians 12, so I was up on, on the language, the Greek words, the whole sort of theme of 1 Corinthians 12 and spiritual gifts. And um, this staff member turned to me after and he said, boy, that was deep, wasn't it? Have you ever heard anything like that? And I said, no, no one has ever heard anything like that. <laughs> because it's not in the text. Do you understand how he imposed on it? But you see, it sounded so deep. It, it made so much sense in terms of its inflated language that it must be. It really didn't make sense. But inflated language, it appeared to make sense and, and be very deep. So uh, they impressed people with their inflated eloquence, high-sounding words. Secondly, their message appeals to people's sinful desires. That's why it says in verse 18, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. They never tell anybody to deal with their sin. They never call anyone to repentance. They say, keep your sin. Just believe this message. It's okay. In fact, you can continue any way you want. And thirdly, Peter says they prey upon new believers. That's what he means when he says those This is who they're targeting, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. These are the people who have just recently come out of unbelief and paganism, and they're just trying to distance themselves from their old way of life and and the behavior of their old friends. And that's who they target. And we want to pick things up with verse 19, because from verse 19 to the close of the chapter, Peter zeroes in on one final truth about false teachers. And I would encourage you to take this note, take it down, And here's the truth. False teachers are slaves of sin. They are slaves of sin, their own sin. He says in verse 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. Having just told us that false teachers offer a very unsatisfying message that appeals to young and immature Christians, as well as many and most, in fact, who are not Christians, Peter now gives us a glimpse as to somewhat of the content of their message. And this is this is insightful. We don't know all that they taught, but here's a glimpse of their content. He tells us that that in their message, they promised their followers freedom, liberty, some type of freedom. Now, Peter doesn't spell it out for us. He doesn't tell us directly what this freedom was about, but it would seem from the context of chapter two, that since these false teachers were immoral men, then the liberty that they offered had to do with throwing off moral restraint. That would be my interpretation of it. Notice in this chapter how often Peter mentions the immorality of the false teachers. We often don't see the flow of this because we, we divide our lessons into so many, so many weeks that we, we often don't remember all that he had to say about their immorality. In verse 2, of chapter 2, it says, many will follow their sensuality. So they were sensual. Beginning with verse 10 at the, at the start of it, he says, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. So indulgence of the flesh. Verse 13, in the middle of verse 13, he says, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They carouse, he says, with you. The beginning of verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. And then in verse 18, what we just read, they uh, enticed by fleshly desires, by sensuality. You put that all together and, and it seems very plausible that since these men were so immoral, and I would also add to this that, that there may very well be the aspect here of homosexuality 
because he spoke about Sodom and Gomorrah earlier in the chapter. I wouldn't press that too far, but that may very well have been the case. But we certainly know that they were immoral, and it's plausible to believe that their teaching was was giving people a freedom, a license to behave in an immoral way as well. In fact, we know from other places in the New Testament that the early church, many in the early church, misunderstood the grace of God. They believed that the grace of God and forgiveness in Christ Jesus was a license to live any way you chose to live. That's how many interpreted the grace of God. In fact, Jude verse 4 says this, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Licentiousness is a license to be involved in gross sin. That's what it is. And it may very well have been that these are exactly the same people Peter was dealing with. We don't know. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul addresses this when he tells the Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. We're free. We've been saved. We've been forgiven. I think perhaps the strongest statement is in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? There were some who came along and said, aha, we are saved by the grace of God. Isn't that true? Yes. And God is glorified when when his grace is demonstrated and our sins are forgiven. Yes, that's absolutely true. So why don't they said, why don't we just go on sinning so God can give us more grace? That's what Paul was dealing with. And notice his his reply in verse 2, strongest language in the New Testament. We don't even have words to convey it, but he said, may it never be. The thought is perish the thought. Don't even think such a thing. It's so hideous. Don't even bring it up. Heaven forbid. And then he explains, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's not the grace of God. Grace of God is not like that at all. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite about the grace of God. Those who have experienced God's unconditional forgiveness in Christ have received a new nature. And that new nature makes all the difference in the world. We are not under the domination of sin anymore. We don't want to sin. Yes, we struggle with sin. We have to deal with it in our lives. But go back to Second Peter, if you will. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4. We looked at this at the beginning of our study, and it's an important, critical verse to understand. He says, for by these, meaning these these promises, salvation, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, by the gospel, he means you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The moment you placed your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, God gave you a new nature. It's called the divine nature. You're not the same person anymore. You have not been reformed. You have been transformed. You have received in one sense a real you, a new you, a a, a new nature that drives you. And this new nature gives you a new desire to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. That's why you want to please him. You have a new nature, but not only does that new nature give you a desire to please him, it'd be very frustrating if you only had a desire to please him, but didn't have the power to please him by obedience. But that's why Peter uh, closes verse four with the, the last phrase that says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In other words, we don't live by our lusts anymore. Yeah, we struggle at times with them, but the grace of God has transformed us. This is precisely what Paul meant when he wrote to Titus 
in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now watch this. He says, instructing us. This is what the grace of God instructs us to do, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteous, righteously and godly in the present age. So rather than, than seeing grace as a freedom to sin, the Bible teaches that when you experience God's grace and you understand that he has forgiven you all of your sins, you don't want to continue in sin. You don't want to continue in sin and offend God. You love God. When we do sin, we confess it and we repent, but that's not where we want to be. In response to his grace, you obey him and, and you please him out of gratitude for all that he's done for you. Why would you want to sin against this love? It's only an unregenerate, unsaved person who would twist the grace of God into sin, which is exactly what the false teachers were doing. They were saying you can live any way you choose. You want to live sexually free. You can live that way. That was the message of the false teachers in Peter's day. They taught a message that promised their followers freedom from sexual restraints. But the irony of this all, and it really is ironic, is that the false teachers were not free themselves. Notice, notice the, the end of verse 19. He says, or the middle, it says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. They gave people these grandiose promises that if they followed their teaching, they would be free. But Peter says, hey, they weren't even free themselves. They're enslaved. They were enslaved, folks, to their own immoral lusts. And that's why Peter closed verse 19 with a proverb, which is a general truism. For by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. In other words, far from being free, these men have been mastered by their own lusts. Whatever masters you is your master. You're enslaved. Whatever overcomes you, you're a slave to it. Now this brings up a very important issue, one that is extremely relevant and applicable for all of us. What exactly does it mean for us as believers in Jesus Christ to be free? What does it mean to be free? What exactly did Jesus mean when he said in John 8, 30, 36, if the son shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. The world would tell us that freedom means to be able to do whatever you want to do. You have to have freedom of speech. We have to have freedom of this. We have to have spree- free. I can do whatever I want. Freedom to do as I see fit. But folks, that is just not what the Bible means by freedom. Freedom to do our own thing is the very essence of sin. It's the essence of sin to be able to do what you want to do. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The freedom to go our own way is not true freedom. We think it's freedom, but it's not. See, before coming to Christ, all of us were slaves of sin our own sin. I, I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I think Ephesians chapter 2 verses uh, 1 through 3 are some of the most important verses in all the Bible because they explain to us what we were really like before coming to faith in Christ. And the contrast is the mercy and grace of, of God. But Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, this was true of all of us before salvation. And you he says, we're dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't kicking. You were dead. You were completely dead, unresponsive. You didn't have a little bit of life and you weren't a little bit depraved. You were dead. 
in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked like everybody else, doing your own thing. According, he says, to the prince of the power of the air, what we did was just what Satan wanted us to do, even if we didn't personally believe in, a, in, a, in the devil. Of the spirit, he says, that's now working in the sons of, of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh. Now, you may say, but I didn't, I didn't live like that. Yeah, but you thought like that, even if you didn't live like that. And that's why the next statement is, and of the mind. Even if you didn't do those things outwardly, you did them in your mind. And we were, watch this, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. We were by nature, children of wrath. We were in bondage. We were not free. We were in bondage to our own nature, a nature that brought God's wrath upon us. There is a great deal of confusion about what freedom really is. Thomas Huxley put it well, I think, when he said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. This is Verse by Verse, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. You can learn more or listen to previous broadcasts at our website, versebyverseradio.org. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. We are nearing the conclusion of a series on the dangers of false teachers. There is no shortage of people who teach that since God's grace is infinite, we are free to do as we like, and He will continue to forgive. But not only should we not abuse God's grace, if we are truly saved, there is a transformation that changes. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.